Who are you? If I came out and asked you that question, what would your response be? Would it be easy to respond, or would it be something that's rather difficult to answer? Because it's somewhat of an open question. It's one that has a lot of different possible options. That we can look around, we can see all sorts of mothers and fathers, all sorts of children, all sorts of sons and daughters, maybe even some different professional beings as well. Those that are nurses, those that are teachers, those that serve so many different professions. Maybe we could identify with that. Or maybe we could identify with our hometown. We could identify in all sorts of different ways. And indeed, we might struggle a little bit to fully describe who we are. But imagine the difficulty of answering the question, who is Christ? Especially whenever we look at Peter's place in the gospel this morning. Whenever he's asked, who do you say that I am? Could we have answered so easily? And what does it mean for us today that that question is still here? To start to answer that question, we should start off with the book of the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah is speaking to two individuals in this book, or in this particular passage in his book, that we see that he is doing what's called a prophetic oracle, meaning something of historical significance. He's telling about something that is going to happen, but doing it in a poetic way. And so he's speaking to Shebna and Eliakim. So he's telling Shebna that he is going to be cast down, and not just cast down, but thrust down away from the throne of his rulership. And so we get this idea very quickly that Shebna has largely failed in his leadership and in what he was supposed to do. And so the Lord's casting him to the side. He's taking him out because he realizes that there is no way for this to continue on. He's heard the cries of his people, and he's going to answer. And so instead, he entrusts them to Eliakim. So Eliakim, as it comes about, we see that the Lord is describing who Eliakim is and what he's going to do to Shebna, because Shebna has largely forgotten about that office that he holds. And so as he's sort of giving this glaring indictment to Shebna, listen to what he says. He's telling that Eliakim is a servant of God, that he is one who follows his commands, that he is of the house of David, he's of that royal lineage, and what's more, because of that, he's going to be given the keys to the house of David, that whatever he opens shall remain open, whatever he closes shall remain closed, that he will be so well known and held in high esteem in his family forever. And in fact, this is a beautiful moment because it tells us something about Eliakim's identity, that he's one that knows and is very strong in who he is, even though Shebna has largely forgotten that he's lost and relinquished his identity, and therefore he doesn't live very well, and he doesn't follow the Lord, he doesn't follow his statutes, and in fact, he's looking around listlessly because he's forgotten who he is. We continue on to St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, and this actually dovetails very well into the last couple of weeks of readings that we've had with him. If you recall back a couple of weeks ago, he was sort of going about the fact and really sorrowful that the Jewish people at large were rejecting the gospel. They were putting it to the side, and so they were simply walking away. And so this caused a great degree of anguish in Paul's heart. And so we hear him dramatically calling out, were I the one that was separated and not them? And even last week, he's setting about talking to the Gentiles and speaking with them, and he's telling them that he wants them to be just a little bit jealous, that he wants the Jewish people to be jealous of them so that they might, just a few of them, be saved. He's looking in all sorts of ways. 
But today's sort of the capstone of this. And it may not seem related at all, but in fact, it's a very beautiful synthesis of Paul's position. Because it tells us that Paul, as hopeless as he could be tempted to be with the people, nonetheless, he recognizes he's not the one in charge. He's not the one in control. But he knows the one that is. So he talks about the riches and the depths of the knowledge and wisdom of God and all of the different ways that he is so powerful and he is above all. But what's more, he continues on, and he tells us that there is no one that can be God's counselor, no one that is wiser than he, and no one that can have God owe them anything. So truly, it sets apart that sort of reality, that certainly, as he could have despaired, he could have felt that the situation was hopeless, nonetheless, he saw that the Lord has plans. He's in control. He's in charge. And so he's just simply going to wait on the Lord. He's done his job. He went. He did his ministry. Now he's just waiting for the Lord to actualize and to really take what Paul has done and to bring it to fruition, something that we can still see witnessed today. Then finally we arrive at the gospel according to Matthew, and we hear that Jesus is still traveling around. And as he's traveling around, we can imagine that he's speaking with his disciples, and so today it seems like he's almost just tossing them a question just to see how they'll answer. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples start to answer. They say, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, some Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets. Then we see that they're coming up with all sorts of answers. But the trouble is, it's not their own answer. That they're hearing all these different things, these rumors about who Jesus is. They're picking up on these things, and that's what they relate back to the Lord. They're telling him all these things. And it could be impersonal. But then Jesus tightens down. He says, but who do you say that I am? We can imagine that they're almost reduced to silence. But eventually, Peter pipes up, and he's the one that speaks, and speaks so eloquently. You are the Christ, the Son of God. It's so simple, and yet so majestic, that he's able to produce that answer. And we know that Jesus, as he's affirming this answer, he recognizes this answer is not from Peter's own mind. This is something that was given to him by the Lord, that he was the one that entrusted him with this knowledge, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus, as Peter has recognized who Jesus is, Jesus begins to reveal to Peter who he is. That he tells him that he is Peter, upon this rock he will build his church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. Where, who, whatever he binds on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever he looses on earth shall be loosed in the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, he's telling Peter that he's going to take that position of the first pope. And it's very appropriate because we see that Peter is so intimately connected and concerned with what the Lord is putting on his heart. But it's not as if he got this as a prize, but it was his by design. Because the Lord had planned this from all the beginning of time. He knew that he was the one called to give testimony, and Peter actually succeeded that day. Even as many times as we see his different failures and points of failure in his life, even in the times after this, it doesn't matter so much. Rather, what matters is he got it right at the end of the day. He recognized Jesus' authority, he recognized his identity, and he truly was able to answer when Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? But let's step back for just a moment. That question, who do you say that I am, is something that was said 2,000 years ago, and yet we can kind of distance ourselves because of that reality. But what if we ask ourselves that question? If Jesus was to walk up to you today, or if you encountered him in some way, and he asked you that question or put it on your heart, who do you say that I am, what would you answer? 
Because if we go back to St. Paul and his letters to the Romans, we're introduced to this idea of the Lord, that we know that the Lord is above all, that he's above us in many different ways, in many respects, that he is the God that is all-knowing, all-powerful, and is all-consuming, and is the God over all of creation. We know this. And so St. Paul is reveling, and he's revealing this fact to the Romans yet again and reminding them of it because he knows that he's in charge and in control. But it wouldn't be enough to just say God is overall and we leave him over there. Because the reality is, our God is a personal God. Our God is a God who wants to be intimately connected with you and I. Our God is a God who wants to be known fully, who wants to reveal things to you and to reveal things to me and to place them on our hearts and our souls. And we truly should be able to encounter him in the moments that we feel it and in the moments we don't. And that's really where the heart of this question lies. Because in the gospel, we look and we see that Jesus is asking them, who do you say that I am? And Peter's able to answer, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so he's able to identify, but then that identity doesn't return to him empty. Because the reality of that identity is it should change the way that Peter reflects and connects to the Lord. That if he truly believes that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, it's going to change everything about his life. And indeed it has. Peter left his nets and followed the Lord, and all of the disciples did this. They truly do believe in the Lord, that it's not just an empty title to them, but it's rather one that's filled with meaning. And indeed, as we see that, it's a reality that we should be aware of. Because, my brothers and sisters, if we answered the Lord and we said, well, he's the Savior, what if it was an empty answer? What if we truly didn't believe that with all of our hearts and our souls, or we didn't know what that meant? Or maybe if we said he's the Lord, or we said he's the Father, or he's our brother, and we just simply walked away with that knowledge and just kind of lived as if it didn't matter. Because that's not to capture the identity of Christ. That's not to live in relationship. What the question is in this gospel is directed at relationship. It's to get us in communion with the Lord our God. Because we wouldn't leave any relationship in our life this disconnected. We wouldn't just identify someone and then walk away. But rather, we'd be changed because we know someone, and we know them intimately. And it indeed is the challenge for us today. Because we have so many different things that we could call Christ, that we've learned from PSR, we've learned from the Catechism, perhaps we've learned along the way in different talks or different things we've heard. But it's not enough. Because we have to be connected, we have to be in relationship with this Lord and with our God, because whenever he's asking Peter and the disciples, who do you say that I am? He's asking them for a revelation of their relationship with him. And indeed, Peter shows that very well. And I dare say, and I pray, that each of us are able to answer that, maybe not fully right now, but in time, that we're able to discover the meaning, the depth, and the richness of our love of God as well, as much as he loves us. But then the final point, and it's one that we might take for granted if we don't really see what happened in the gospel, if we just stop at that question, because we see that Peter answers, but then Jesus answers back to him. Because he doesn't just leave it at, you're right, Peter, and move on. But instead, because of that answer, he starts to reveal more about Peter. He starts to tell Peter who he is. My brothers and sisters, God knows us more intimately and more wholly than any of us ever can ourselves. He's so connected, he's designed us, he's created us, he's been there from the very beginning. And in fact, our Lord knows more about our identity and who we are as beloved sons and daughters than we could ever discover ourselves. 
And that's especially important in this day and this age. Because whenever we hear that others are going out to try to find themselves, so often it's devoid of the Lord our God. So often they're living in ignorance of the Lord, and they feel that He has no answer for them. But He has every answer about who we are. That He wants to tell us more about who we are as beloved sons and daughters. He wants to tell us who we are, why life matters, why it's important. He wants to give us a sense of meaning and purpose. So many times we look out in this world today and we see a world devoid of those things. And that's because it's a world devoid of Christ's identity. And it's a devoid of that relationship with the Lord. But if we truly seek after that relationship, if we seek after the Lord our God, first and foremost above anything else, I don't think we'll just find ourselves finding a relationship or just simply an identity of the Lord. But rather we're going to find who we are. We're going to discover more about ourselves, more about our meaning, more about our purpose, and more about our fulfillment in this life. So really and truly, there is more to this question than meets the eye. Because Jesus asks them, but he wants them to discover more about who he is, but also who they are by extension. Because we can identify ourselves in so many ways. If I asked you, who are you, you could likely come with all sorts of different things, and perhaps if you asked me the same thing, I could tell you a lot of different things as well. But none of those are as important as our identity that's taken up in the Lord our God. The simple question that Jesus asked of the disciples that day, but who do you say that I am? What if we were asked that question today? What if the Lord came to us and asked that question? Who do you say that I am.